the Bodhisattva's great mercy. <clears throat> Chapter 12. Yun asks Dawu, how does the Bodhisattva of great mercy use all the use all those hands and eyes? Dawu said, it's like reaching behind you for a pillow in the night. Yun said, I understand. Really, what do you understand? There are hands and eyes all over the body. Dawu said, that's nicely put, but it's not the whole picture. Yun said, how would you put it? Dawu said, all through the body are hands and eyes. So comments? So it's... What's the difference in the two statements? So there are hands and eyes all over the body, all through the body, our hands and eyes. I don't know, both of them, both of them seem weird, <laughs> uh, but the second one, um, it's, it's hard, it's, it's kind of, Hard to explain. Um, I don't know. I'm wondering if it's more about um, parts inside the body are are giving, uh, they give life, obviously, but I think that they are looking and feeling all of the different um like if you if you have a bloodstream they're there they're different parts of the body that look after the the bloodstream and make sure that it's working properly and there are different parts i think that hear or feel or whatever when you're angry upset or something hurts you and both try to physically um, cope with that, but also in some real sense, try to to emotionally and mentally cope with those things so that the outside of the body where they're just two uh, hands and two eyes are able to deal with it. If that made any sense at all. Uh, Nelda? So I think the eyes are symbolic of our seeing when there is a need and the hands are symbolic of offering to meet that need. And I see the difference in the two is this. Compassion is not something that's on the surface. It's not a superficial act. It's something that flows from within outward from every pore of you. So the hands and eyes aren't just on the surface of the body. They run through the body, every part of you. That's how I, and I'm always wrong. So just take that with a grain of salt, but that's how I read it. I can see that. Anyone else? 
Lynn Starlight? I have no idea what this is about. The only difference that I see is that the first one says you have eyes and hands all over the body versus the second one that is you have eyes and hands inside and through your body. So the second one is like they are in an integral part of your body everywhere. And the first one is like something was dumped on you, not being part of you. Yeah, and to, to, to me too, it's kind of what Nelda suggested that the hands or eyes are metaphorical as opposed to literal hands and eyes. So she's depicted visually as having hands and eyes there. But oh. I, I like how you said, Nelda, the, the, the eyes uh, see for the Bodhisattva, the hands do, something like that. Go on, someone's, is that you? Yeah. I was saying that the only way I can understand this is the body feels everything. So in a way, if it's, if it has eyes all over, you know, all through it and hands all through it, it would be a way for the body to feel with the hands and see with the eyes everything that is happening to one. Okay, so we kind of, that started to get into, into the first part, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, because the first part it was saying it's like reaching behind for, for a pillow. To me, that's trying to make yourself comfortable because you're not, so you're feeling everything. And in that, I guess it's like, I'm not comfortable with what I'm seeing, with what I'm feeling, but I can reach out for a pillow to feel better. Like I said, I don't know what this is about. <laughs> no, I, have, I have a little bit of a different reading of that. Like, I'm always surprised when you, you reach for something like a pillow and you find it, even though you can't see it. So the Bodhisattva knows where these hands and eyes are, even though they can't see them. But I have no idea. I didn't read the commentary and I've never read about this. I've just heard the koan. Anyone else? I think it's uh, Kim is next. Meanwhile, the great sea of compassion rolled in, rolled out, rolled in. And the blue mountain of itself remains. And the blind shampooers never tire of their work. That's a nice animation. There was a light meter, the Weston Master light meters, three and five. I knew I had one different times. And they, whenever you drop them, they would break. And the repair people were all blind, supposedly in Colorado, the only place that could repair them. And I always wondered about that. So as you read that poem, I saw Alavakita Shvara. I, I saw 
him, her, Kanyin, however you, however embodied, male, female, however you, I mean, that, the great sea of compassion, always there. Everything remains the same. And then blind, you know, she doesn't need necessarily a physical vision and and she never tires of her work. That is, And that, that relates to the reaching for the pillow, doesn't it? You're blind. Yeah, you do, you find you find what meets the need in that moment, as as Starlet was saying. Just it just flows for me. You find what meets the need. If only if only it were that easy all the time, right? For now, we see through a glass darkly, and then face to face. St. Paul. Okay, and um, Melissa is next. People often think of love as an intention. Love's variants, kindness, empathy, and compassion are also considered as traits to be cultivated. From this, you might think of love as something that needs to be taught or learned or in some way added to your personality or your day, perhaps something you need to be happy and accoutrement. Yet if this were the case, love might die out and it doesn't. This koan offers the possibility that love is what is left when you throw everything else overboard. The work of love is always going on beneath all the other movements all the other moments beneath even understanding and consciousness at the bottom of the bottom. How do you say the bod Bodhisattva? It's Bodhisattva, thank you. Of life and compassion is sometimes imagined as having a thousand hands to touch you and in the palm of each hand an eye to witness your life. Okay, I love that. So the hands, the eyes are in order to make sure that you are seen and being taken care of. So I think Milena's next. <laughs> The con. The con. The Bodhisattva's great mercy. Yunjan asked Daogu, how does the Bodhisattva of great, of great mercy use all those hands and eyes? Daogu said, it's like reaching behind you for a pillow in the night. Yunjan said, I understand. Really? What do you understand? There are hands and eyes all over the body. Daogu said, that's nicely put, but it's not the whole picture. Yunyan said, how could you put it? Daogu said, all through the body are hands and eyes. Working with the koan. When all the stories about how to live fall away, what is left might be the real. But what about the human experience of the real? What to call it? What accurately describes it? What if the word might be love? 
When there was simple seeing, there would be love. Catching a ball, that would be love, and picking up a child also. This would make love more basic than other experiences, placing it underneath everything else, at work in the blind night and the black earth. It would touch you and everyone you know at every moment. If this were true, it might make sense of the great intimacy and contentment you can feel just breathing and walking under boughs, walking through a spring morning, through the whole body, as the koan puts it. Sometimes it's hard not to feel linked in a great net. Hmm. One way to go with this koan is to ask, how often does reaching behind you in the dark occurs? When am I, when I am working on a piece of writing or a painting and it has lost its flow, sometimes I fall asleep over the problem. In my sleep, waking and dreaming seem, seem to thread through each other and I dream new words or colors that is reaching in the dark for what I need. Another way to enter the call one might be to notice the touch of hands over the course of your life, starting with literal hands, moving out. No, no, starting with literal. Or That's did what you I say? said. Oh, you did. I thought I heard little. Okay, good. Thank you. And moving outward from there. When you are born, hands catch you. Hands that can see you. Taking in the softness of your skin and the way it melts to other skin. After that, you greet people by touching hands, by embracing them with your own hands. I think of my mother cranking shirts through the hand wringer, cooking her, cooking her steak and kidney pies, making chocolate pudding out of a packet. Drilling my sister and me on French verbs and Latin cases and writing lesson plans in the event for her first grade. I mean, I'm sorry, evening for her first grade class the next day. A thousand hands and eyes. May I say something here because this really touched me. May I? Of course. Okay. So yesterday I was in sewing practice, sewing the rakasu. And as we were leaving, the knobs on the doors at the Apamata house are, at least I'm assuming because they look like it, the original knobs, the 1940-something doorknobs. And as I was opening the door to leave, and I thought, how many hands have touched this knob? How many bodies have passed through this door? How many connections have been made? How many lives have come and gone? Literally, you know, in, in this world and also lives come and gone through first this house as a residence and then as a zendo. It was deeply touching to think of the hands um, that had touched that doorknob. Peg used to say there were about 200 people visits a week. That's not 200 different people, but 
different visits. So you know, that's 10,000 a year or something like that. So, and then for 10 years would be 100,000. And that's just 10 years of the life of the house. Oh, sorry, it's my turn. I'm sorry. Um, would you mind to go to the previous page? Um, this paragraph, um, I love how it describes love by saying that it can be as simple as catching a ball <laughs> or picking up a child, just being present in the little things. Because it made me think of the opposite of love is ignorance, it's, not, it's indifference, it's not hate. And the thing is that how true it is like when you're a child and you want to play with others and they don't want to play with you or your parents are not paying attention to you or something like that. And it is true, love is shown in all those things. And I think it's beautiful when he says that we are connected and even, so you, you just what he says here about walking under the bows, walking through a spring morning. You are connected to everything. And I just think it's so beautiful to think all those hands, all those eyes are to be there just to take care of you. And also it shows in just being there for one another, even in the most mundane things. I thought that was a beautiful thing. Supposedly, you can't see a base uh, a baseball hit the bat, though Ted Williams claimed he could see it, but everyone doubted him. But it's physically supposedly impossible. It's such a short moment. But you can feel it when it hits the bat. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, do you know, I almost didn't come today because I'm so exhausted from yesterday. I'm so glad I came. This mm -hmm. is such a nurturing con. Okay, so where are we here? Another way to enter? Yes, no, I think at the very bottom. Okay. I also of crimson and blue parrots hurling and wave pat wave pattern patterned oh wave pattern flight through eucalyptus trees calling lights lightly off key bells at the same time as wallaby thumps the side of the house with her tail as she hops by. And here is a short list of a few other things that share the moment. Bark peels from a snow gum leaving a smooth 
white trunk running with red sun. A dented, short wheelbase Land Rover whines and groans up the gray dirt truck. A batsman hits a run on the cricket match on the radio. Two children run out of the house yelling to each other. A large lump of asteroid sails by, just missing, being pulled into the Earth's atmosphere. Well, you see the complexity. Okay, uh, Cody, I think you read before, didn't you? Yeah. I'll read then. The working of the universe goes on constantly like hands finding other hands. Gravity, electromagnetism, and quantum mechanical effects go on simultaneously. And I think of the split photon experiment in which if you change the spin on one particle, you alter another one which might be miles or light years away. That all happens like the left hand on the piano without thought. Sometimes out of the corner of your eye, you might catch a little piece of the universe at work secretly. For example, in game five of the 2002 World Series, the Giants' first batsman, J.T. Snow, rounded third, and as he came home, the bat boy, the three-and-a-half-year-old son of the Giants' manager, ran excitedly onto the field to grab the batter's bat. Snow hardly broke stride. He scooped up the kid by the back of his collar and carried him home. It was elegant, excuse me, elegant and automatic and made it seem fine, War, a fine warm thing to do that the boy had wandered onto the field finer than if he hadn't there were all sorts of considerations another runner was bearing down on home plate a ball might have hit the boy yet none of this seemed to go through the runner's mind he just incorporated the boy into the play That is also part of compassion's action in the night. You can't be sure that what is happening is a mistake. You might find an unsuspected kindness in other corners of an event or in yourself. If you are busy thinking that you should be kind, you might miss the rea reality that kindness is already present in you. As well as the multitasking that the universe seems to be so fond of, there is the thusness of common things, the way that when you look at objects without prejudice, they seem to carry a brightness inside. There's a Tibetan meditation in which you imagine yourself to be the Bodhisattva of great mercy with all those arms and 11 heads to boot. And imagine too, that everyone you meet is also this being. In the koan, even an inanimate uh, thing, a hill or a stream or a car, might be one of those hands and eyes. Here's how, well, I'm sorry, I'll stop there. 
Uh, Cody, go ahead, because I didn't realize that I had barge in. <laughs> no, 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 you're, you're, this is right. You're next, and, and then Cody. Okay. Here is how a woman in Northern California explained his feature of the corn, explained this feature of the corn. She called it kinship. When I realized that I was seeing the world as it is, that led to the feeling of kinship. Whatever I paid attention to, that seemed to be me at that moment. I'd already been everything, done everything, owned everything. I'd already been this wall and this couch. All you have to do is be you and everything comes to you. It is not a question of ownership. The idea of something shiny and bright that I need to have is silly. The reverse is that I get what I want. I'm at home in this world. What I do is enough. One day I was untangling a friend's daughter's hair. Untangling went on and on. It became touch with light. And my hands were moving straight through time. I could see the dustness in there of her hair. When my, when my baby was born, I loved him exactly as he was. It was a movement in the dark before the light of thought struck the world. When a friend's baby seems to be dying, at first she and I were very upset, but this was abandoning the baby just when the baby ne most needed company. And we could see that we had to love the baby just as it was, even if we were to lose it, though in the end, we didn't. Another way this koan appears is when the world reaches out for you when you have not asked it to do so. There's an old story about being touched in this way, a story from China 1,200 years ago. Ling Yun was wandering in the mountains and became lost in his walking. He rounded a bend and saw peach blossoms on the other side of the valley. This sight awakened him, and he wrote this poem. For 30 years, I searched for a master swordsman. How many times did the leaves fall and the branches break into bud? But from the moment I saw the peach blossoms, I've had no doubts. Centuries later, the Japanese teacher Keizan tried to help out by writing his own poem. The village, village peach blossom didn't know their own Sir Crimson, but still they freed Lin Jung from all his doubts. Could we read both poems again, please? Uh, sure. Maybe. <laughs> Thank you. 
For 30 years, I searched for a master swordsman. How many times did the leaves fall and the branches break into bud? But from the moment I saw the peach blossoms, I had no doubts. Why don't you read it, Starlet, the other one? The village, the village peach blossom didn't know their own crimson. But still, they freed Ling Hume from all his doubts. This is so profound. How many times has, has that happened to us? Oh my goodness. Wow. And the thing is that I don't know how to interpret it because both ways are good. The leaves fall and still the, the branches bloom. So did he need it to finally find a teacher? because the tree was able to bloom without the leaves? Or was it that he had no doubts because he meant when he saw the bloom, even though there are no leaves, I can still bloom, I will still find my teacher. Either way, it's a beautiful message. I think it's about enlightenment, seeing yes. the peach blossoms. The peach blossoms were his teacher, his master swordsman that cut through all the delusion and brought him to um, vast as the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. And he'd walked past buds and he'd walked past trees and rivers and birds singing and colorful and he'd missed it all. But in that moment, the crimson color of the peach blossoms just put it all aside and connected him with the isness of all. Am I right? <laughs> I mean, that's what, that's what I read. Yeah. Yeah. Well, something made a difference and it seemed to be the peach blossoms. Yeah. You know, where, where you have, you know, he went from having doubts and doubting everything to, to not having doubts. So what takes us to that place? It's what that it was saying before on the reading that if you start to think, okay, I need to be merciful. I need to be kind to others. You miss the point that you're already there. You already is part of you. So in this case with him is, I need to find a teacher. I need to find that teacher so I can become wise and enlightened. No, it was already inside of him. So I, I love it. And Kim, isn't there a koan, as I recall? I don't remember it. The clang of a pot, like a pot fell, and just that sound enlightened. Well, there's many, many examples of instant enlightenment. I don't remember that one. Okay. But I'm, I, in one, it's the tug of a robe, you know, that kind of thing. Just, and that's a big debate in Zen is whether between, I think, the Rinzai people and the Mahayana people of whether enlightenment is instantaneous or kind of continuous. I would okay. think it could be both. 
You know, if you work really hard at something and then all of a sudden it happens, did it happen instantaneously or did it happen over the years of working? So, so is there a difference? I don't, think, I don't think working hard at this practice is really the approach. To me, that brings to mind the vision of being in a pond and reaching and reaching and reaching for a leaf. And the more you do, the more ripples you create and the further away it gets. Yeah, I guess I should have said if you're at it a long time, because yeah. these guys were yeah. rather than working at it or something. Yes. Thank you. Well, and for a really practical version of that, um, it sounds like when I was in high school, I was taking a geometry class and I was not understanding. I was not doing well. And we were doing proofs. And um, I went in tears to my teacher who looked at me and said, are you working at this? Are you doing your homework? And I said, yes. He said, well, that's fine. One day, all of a sudden, you'll do it right. And then you'll know. And I was like, that's the, that's the most horrible thing you could tell me because I have no idea what you're talking about. But I do remember that exact moment when it was true. It was just, it just came. It doesn't, it wasn't, I didn't like feel like it was from the work I'd been doing. I feel like, like a light just switched on and there it was and I could do it again I, and over and over again. So I think that's, at least that's how this makes me feel that it's, the work is not for, for nothing, but the moment of enlightenment can just be that. I'm laughing because I remember when a teacher said, he was telling the class, he said, anyone can learn to draw. And then he remembered that I was in the room and he said, except Mosley. <laughs> oh, no, he oh, oh. oh, no, he did. What? Oh, no, your teacher didn't say that. Please. Uh, oh, yeah, of course. She, oh. He liked my art. But it was that different. was fine. That was fine not to draw. You didn't have to learn. It was already uh, innate in you. you. I don't. I don't know what it was, but anyway, it was okay. I. I. It wasn't uh, hurtful at all. I'm glad to hear that. Um, the thing is that Melissa, for what you were saying, the moment of enlightenment would have not happened to you if you had not been studying math, because. Right. That doesn't happen. You don't get to learn math without studying it. So I think it can go both ways. It can be like you, that you were doing the work and then it came the moment when the light switch turned on. And with you, Kim, you already had an instinct or a nature or it was from inside of you the way that you perceive and view the world and you're able to put it into drawing. So this is the other possibility for our next book. There's, there's two different translations. I have both of them. And it's the story of the original ancestors who went on their enlightenment. Oh. And, it, and we've we've never read that in depth and practice. This one's called Transmission of Light. 
um, Zen and the Art of Enlightenment. Um, so we'll have to be thinking about that. I'm sure Peg would, would go along with that too. In fact, I probably mentioned it to her at one time as opposed to doing an, another book of Koan next. But and there's, a, did I just say this? There's um, like 52 different stories oh. in the book. It would be a year. Uh, lovely to learn their stories. That would be wonderful. It's, it's really neat. It's almost like a zap of lightning. Uh, I've been to um, two or three classes, actually, when we went through these at Austin Zen Center. Um, I think two. And I don't think we read every one. We just read some in each time. But anyway, that would be fun to do. I really like those stories. Okay, so where are we? There. Very so. And who's reading? I believe it's Nelda. Okay. Melen hasn't read. Melissa, did you read last? No, Kim hasn't read. I read after Kim. Okay, no. I'll. Uh, read the second poem okay then yeah then, that's true okay then melissa no i, th I think you were right originally it's melin okay <laughs> sorry <laughs> <laughs> okay i'll read there is always a chance that the world might reach us reach out its hand there is always a chance that the world might reach out its hand no matter how late the hour, even if you have no strength yourself, working with the koan could mean resting in what is true. Then it is up to the koan to do the work, to show you what is was made to do and why it was sent down over the long years to lodge in your heart. The world can reach out for you without thought or plan and in reaching, reach into your depths. If you've ever sat quietly listening to the sound of the rain, you might have had the experience that after a while you can't tell what is rain and what is you. It can be an intimate sound, as if the rain was falling through your chest. Sometimes in winter, when I'm alone in the house and my child is asleep, I go out and stand looking at the stars. The great horned owl gives its four note call and the sound goes through my body in the same way that rain can. And the owl call is enough. There is no flaw in the world. At such times, no matter how solitary you might be, it seems impossible to be lonely because you are there. And the owl and the black eucalyptus trees the stars and the flashes of light from automobiles, it is as if they are inside your chest too, throughout the whole body of the universe, hands and eyes. And I might add, when I look at the moon, my sense is I'm the universe looking back at myself. 
So there's no separation for me between the moon and me. I don't feel it in my body. I'm uni the universe looking at part of me that I wouldn't otherwise get to see except for these eyes. The way things can happen by themselves without being made to happen is a strange thing. And you begin to notice it. When I first worked with this corn, I remember drifting in a canoe off the Trobriand, I don't know how to pronounce that. Yeah, I Trobriand. Trobriand. Yeah, Thank you. Islands east of Papua New Guinea, sick with fever. I was delirious and hallucinating and noticed that my mind was in a thousand pieces and my body too seemed to be in bits. I had been reduced to matter. Occasionally, women who were diving from other canoes appeared, gave me water and disappeared. To me, they were hands and voices and faces. I couldn't knit the bits of my back together. The world would have to do that for me. And it did, though it might not have. For me, there are levels of a thousand hands and eyes in this story. I was apparently in pieces in each of them, a hand or eye preserving itself independently until such time as the whole could thread itself back together. Then there were the hands of the women offering water, the mercy of the world, another level of the thousand hands and eyes. When the problem is intractable and you cannot conceive of a solution to it, you would just have to live through it without a neat story about how it is to be solved. Mm -hmm. I remember in that canoe, when I came back to my normal mind, there was a slight reservation about what was normal and a slight <clears throat> nostalgia for the purity of a mind that couldn't fake anything or organize things into the almost true patterns that it had accustomed, been accustomed to maintain. When the body is trying to survive, there is not the energy for the autobiographical fiction. <laughs> Reminds me of your poem, Starlight. Um, actually, yeah. yes. Today, this coin is very, I feel very connected to it. Yes. Yes, because I feel I have come from both sides. I have experienced what it is not to have hands and eyes taking care of me. And I have experienced having what he's doing being broken in that canoe. And then little by little, you find somebody that pops up in your life or maybe it's your cat or maybe it's 
a sun ray or a flower or a butterfly. And you start to see I'm not alone. And things start to make sense. Well, those people Sunday with who were with you, Starlet, they were the hands and eyes, weren't they? Yeah, they were. They were. I'm, I'm really touched by this corn. It is true. What I'm reading, other times we have read and it felt far away and something that you read to learn, but this, <laughs> it's home. And I know everything that is being written on this koan, I know it to be a fact of truth because I have lived it and I'm actually living it. And the way that I see it, <laughs> I normally something would happen and I would say, I see the hand of God on this. And look. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, yeah. I do not know this, but I have experienced it many, many, many times. Thank God. There was a kindness. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go on. No, I, go on. I was just going to read. So, yeah. Go ahead with what you were saying. There was a kindness in that fever, and it still seizes me sometimes at night, unpredictably, stealing my opinion of myself as a respectable, daylight-dwelling person. The fever soaks my pillow, and then, half asleep, I reach behind me for another. The... Bodhisattvas. Bodhisattvas. Great mercy is to provide pillows for the dreamer as well as to reach for them. I love that sentence. Oh, I love that. Hmm. It makes me feel good inside. It gives me fussy hmm. feelings that are good. Yes, I very much enjoyed this, this journey. I'm curious, Starlet, if we started all over, whether the koans would still have the same effect on you, the first ones, or whether it's that you're more, you know, connected to koans now. I, I, I think that you're right, because I didn't know what koans were. I had never even heard that word, but I feel... I have felt several of the cons, a true connection with them, and they have stayed with me. And I think that now if I went and read it again, I, I will think so. Different. Last week, you it really touched you too, I remember. No, last week I wasn't able to be oh, here. It was the week before. week before, I say. Yeah, because... I was trying to get the book published of anything. Oh, right. But yeah, it's, I didn't know that, I didn't know that I have been living with cons. 
And Starlet, for what I see in some of the statues or representations of this Bodhisattva, he has different mudras in different representations of him. So what are the meaning of those mudras? Because I know very little of it. You can Google mudras and their meaning just like that. And there are plenty of sites that show the different, the teaching mudra, um, the um, mudra inviting universal energy, touching the fingers. I mean, so, and they'll show you the, the pictures, the hand positions. So the mudras are, are ways to, to sit and what to do with your body while you're sitting? Ways you're to hold your hands while you're sitting. Okay. I'll read what ChatGPT says. Mudra is Sanskrit, Sanskrit term that means seal, mark, or gesture. In Hinduism, Buddhism, and Jainism, mudras are used as symbolic hand gestures or body positions that are believed to have a spiritual or healing powers. And it continues. I, when you wrote about the mudras for the book, that was my first time encountering it. And I had to do a lot of research. And then I reached out to Kim to please help me to understand it. But still, I feel that I know very little of it. And I do want to ask, do the mudras used by this bodhisattva, are they unique to him or other bodhisattvas can have the, can use the same type of mudras? I do not know. It's, a, it's an interesting question to research on. I think you can use also all those for yourself. That's what I thought. What do you think, Kim? Nope. Um, I just, you know, like the mudra we use is like this, and it's very common. Um, I don't know that there's particular mudras for bodhi, for a particular bodhisattva, though. Like the unless you you consider like holding the sword up in a certain position with the left hand, you know, a mudra. I guess it would be the right hand because they're turned around. But anyway, so there are gestures that certainly um, are particular. So there's one at the Zendo that is particular to teachers. And this is the mudra when a, so you touch your finger. And so this is one when someone is going to teach with the three fingers up, which makes sense because that's where Peg lived and she's our teacher, so. That's cool. Yeah. Now, I think, <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong, the Bodhisattva of Great Mercy, I guess if you have all those hands and you can do all those many different mudras, does that mean that that Bodhisattva can actually reach 
a more profound enlightenment by being able to do that at once? Well, the Bodhisattva is one who stays back to save all beings rather than to go to enlightenment and to not be reborn. So, so. my cat has an opinion. <laughs> <laughs> so, Kim, will you clarify that? Because I had a mistaken, I may have a mistaken idea of a Bodhisattva. I always thought a bodhisattva was enlightened, but decided to stay on earth. Um, so that's true also. Like there's levels of enlightenment. So, so uh, and uh, we were going to read Viva Lakirti, but he talks a lot about these four or five different levels of enlightenment. So, so what you're saying is true. Um, it's not like the final crossing of the stream and everything else. They, they, they hold back. So it's not about enlightenment. It's about our vow. Um, so when the word contemplation when meditating, does that, okay, so when I think in Spanish, contemplación, it means you're contemplating things, you're, you can, you're seeing things. I hear that more in Christianity, contemplation. Okay. So then would it be mindfulness? So the question that I wanted to get to is, the Bodhisattva of great mercy with all those hands, being able to have all those different, make all those different mudras, would it mean that that Bodhisattva can become more mindful so he can actually use that state of mindfulness to be able to see and touch? in a way of being able to be a part of the world and being one with it, being able to reach everyone in need. My impression is the Bodhisattva already has that ability to do that. That was my question. I just didn't phrase that right. But yeah, I was wondering if- It's not like they're getting better, you know, as they grow older. They are just in that state. They're, they're, yeah, they got it together. Yes. I, I think that's gonna be my favorite Bodhisattva. Okay. Until next week. Yes. Thank you, Bodhisattvas. <laughs>